You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem. Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Well, okay. Yeah, let's get going. Let's get going. <laughs> let's get going. All right. Well, no, um, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to the show. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you again for having me. Last time, I guess we were having tea in your podcast studio, so it's oh, a little different this time around. Yes. The good days. We miss Mike at the studio. Shout out. Yes. Um, yeah, well, hopefully, you'll be back there soon. Things are looking a little better, I guess, these days. They are. Thank the Lord. And like. Yeah, it was it was such a fun space to go to. It was like another little home, but thank God for Zoom, right? We can we can like still sure. connect and do all these things. How's, and I'm not gonna lie, like yeah. I'm wearing pajama pants right now. Like it's kind of nice to just get to do that from home. <laughs> but that's the way to do. That's the benefit of of working from home. Is yeah, you just get into. I'm in that zone too. I've been going everywhere in sweatpants and, and everything lately. So it's it's one of the perks, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I I feel like this year um, and something we're going to get into with what you've built has allowed everyone to really connect through the internet and, and social media on a different kind of level that has been actually really awesome because then you're, you're talking to people across the world, like really building a network of filmmakers and that's what Tess and I are here about. So I love that you really hopped on that too and made it so easy for everyone to do that. And especially like, I think at the start of this year, it was a really smart time for you to launch. Mm-hmm. But for those who didn't tune into our episode with you um, in the past, which you guys have to, I think it's season four, we'll make sure that's right. Um, and hear about your journey and how you started Creative Rebellion and all the wonderful things that you were doing at that time with your feature film. Um, why don't you tell the new listeners tuning into this what it is that you do a little bit and and your noemcroll.com platform, which I love. There's so many <laughs> great tips there for new filmmakers who are who are maybe stuck on an issue and and you have just the best resources. I use it. If I Google something that I don't know how to do, chances are your website's gonna pop up. Yeah, so it covers it, everything, awesome. like everything you could possibly need to know. Yeah. I feel like that's so funny. Yeah. yeah, the search engine optimization, I guess, is, is working. So yeah. That's great. <laughs> Um, Well, it's funny because like I started the blog, which I think a lot of people who end up finding me, um, find me now through this website I created, but that was really always started just to kind of be an offshoot of everything else I was doing as a filmmaker and having a small commercial production company. And then over the years, it just sort of grew into this bigger thing that now um, is like equal, or if anything is sort of like a dominant part of my working life. Um, But really, you know, the core of what I'm all about is just trying to make 
um, really specifically narrative content and do it in a way that's more accessible for filmmakers, no matter what the budget is. Because, you know, I didn't grow up, now I live in LA, but I didn't grow up in LA or New York. I was, you know, in Canada, it's a much smaller film industry and you have to sort of find your your way to sort of, you know, your own way in, in a sense. And for me, it was all about just making your own stuff. And if you don't know anyone in the industry, if you don't have a, a big trust fund to go and fund your own $3 million movie, then you have to kind of bootstrap everything. So for Absolutely. me, everything that I've done has sort of, you know, been derived from that philosophy. Uh, so that's led me into, you know, making my own micro budget features. It's led me into creating like a website and podcast uh, that you guys have also, and we'll, we're just talking about having another interview or something in the future. Yes, guys. Um, and all these other like little content streams I've been putting out for filmmakers. So, um, so my day-to-day is largely kind of a mix of uh, working on my own narrative projects, trying to share what I'm learning through these different channels. And then also I have a commercial production company. So we're doing, you know, the occasional uh, commercial spot or corporate video and and all of that sort of going on in the background as well. So, yeah, I think hopefully that kind of sums it up, but I oh, think yeah. that's the gist of it. No, yeah, definitely. definitely. You, you are branched out in all these different areas, but it, it all flows together. Like your mm-hmm. mission to help filmmakers do micro budget features. I mean, yes, that's like, I think majority of us don't have a trust fund that we can rely on to to do that kind of stuff. And I feel like at the end of the day, that can really be daunting to most, especially beginner filmmakers is like, shit, I don't have the budget. Like, how can I get any of this together? And, you know, it's really, I guess, um, it's, it's hopeful. I'm trying to find the right word for it, but it gives you hope when you're like, you know what, I... I see someone else who's done it and can do it. Mm-hmm. And, and then gives the step-by-step that you normally don't get to hear about because you can really hit a roadblock at one point when you're, when it comes to budget, it just, you're yeah. just like, great. I, I can't do it anymore. I'm pulling out when it's well, like, no, no, no. Like think about it this way and that way. And just, mm-hmm. you need to set what I love about the, especially what you're doing right now is how you really can implement um, the mindset right from the start, right when you're writing the script to set you up for success. Because if you are gonna, if you're just gonna write a script, go write the script, go write the story, but no, you might not be able to film it because of budget constraints. But if you go into, okay, I gotta make a micro budget, well then what are the elements so that I can write in the story that sets me up for success to being actually able to film it. Right. So that's exactly. where the, I feel like the backlot community comes in and I love what you're doing there. That's awesome. And I'm so glad that that you're both a part of it because just knowing what you're doing, um, it feels like there's a lot of synergy and, you know, connectivity and, and it's, it's uh, you know, one of the things I was most excited about and just to give people context, um, so the backlot is more of like a private community that I created for future filmmakers who are looking to kind of educate themselves on the process. So we meet typically once a week and we talk about our movies in different phases and um, just try to, you know, set the pace for everybody. So anyone who wants to make a movie this year can follow along. And if they follow every step, they'll have a, a movie. Um, and some people just tune in and just want to watch the the lessons or connect with people. Um, but it's really been, uh, it's really been a lot of fun and, uh, it's, it's a total experiment, but I'm, I'm really glad that I did it and it helps keep me on track too, mm-hmm. because, you know, one of the hardest things for filmmakers is to just actually 
stick with it. <laughs> yeah. Like you tell yourself, you know, you want to make this movie and this and that, but there's so many steps and so many months or sometimes years involved that it's easy to get derailed. So Absolutely. for everyone in the back lot, including myself, it's a great way to just like keep tabs. Okay. Are we on track this week? If not, how do we get back on track? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's been really, really fun. And like I said, I'm, I'm super grateful that you're both a part of it too. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just want to uh, rewind just a little bit going back to like your blogs and uh, podcasts specifically. I love that it's so tailored to micro budget filmmaking, you know, because there's so many different classes and blogs and everything just on filmmaking in general and, and independent filmmaking, which is, you know, different, obviously, than like big studio filmmaking. But even indie filmmaking can be what is a small budget for Hollywood, but a huge budget for just a normal person, right? I mean, we've talked about that on our show so much. So like micro budget specifically is like it's a whole nother animal, you know, and I love that on your podcast, you have so many guests that are making, you know, a couple thousand dollar feature films. And it's like, hey, it's not just this one dude that can do it. It's all of these people like it is possible. You can do it, too. And then I love yeah. with Backlot. Um, so listeners, Carolina's kind of been our front man. She's been the one going to the meetings, but then she's filling me in, in on everything. So like as a production company, we're both benefiting from it. And I just think it's so great that you're doing this like step by step thing because it's you know like you said some people are just tuning in to learn now and they can use that information later but if you're ready now to create like that's the best way to do it because you have someone there like not dragging you along but holding your hand you know and you have that support and you're learning as you're doing it and like it's just it's such a better way to start you know well the thing that I'm I'm really happy about is just to see how many people actually want to make a feature and believe that they can make it. And I think that's a big change from even like five years ago, maybe, you know, I guess my blog, I launched eight or almost nine years ago. Wow. Um, but when I first started the first few years, it was a different um, response from people. I would get a lot of people kind of saying like, oh, you know, are you sure you want to make a feature? Why don't you just do a short and why do it for yeah. such little money and this and that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like what I realized is the question really at a certain point is why not do it? If, if you can do it, uh, mm -hmm. uh, why wouldn't you? And if, you can't, if you're not willing to do it, and not that everybody has to, because everybody has their own path, but my philosophy is like, if I'm not willing to make a movie when it's easier than ever to make a movie, when it basically can be done for free, if you have the right friends you could call in favors with, you, you shoot it on the camera you have access to, you edit on your laptop, you can make a, a really solid film uh, within your own means, no matter pretty much who you who you are, where you are, what your you know financial situation is. So if you're not willing to do that in that situation, then uh, you know for me, I always felt that if I'm not willing to take that step, then I'm not really deserving of the success that I would want as a filmmaker because all of these other filmmakers are, are willing to it. go out on a limb and risk rejection and failure and do all the, you know, get their hands dirty and, and really go and make a movie. Yeah. Um, and I think what holds a lot of people back is that they, and we may have even talked about this, I don't know, on the last podcast, I can't remember, but it's something that I always come back to because so many filmmakers are so worried about making their first feature because they think of kind of the old system in the nineties and before with Quentin Tarantino and all these maverick filmmakers that made their one like debut smash hit. And then that was it. But these days it's really about building a body of work. It's about creating 
you know, a bunch of projects. None of the movies that I've made are movies that anybody else couldn't have made if they wanted to. Um, And while I still have a lot of growth to do on my own, at a certain point, people just started, you know, seeing me as a filmmaker just because I'm making films, even though nobody's ever given me money to make a film or, you know, projects like I'm just making them. So you (laughs) do that long enough. And eventually people are like, well, I guess he's a filmmaker or she's a filmmaker. (laughs) Right. So I think, you know, I'm hoping that a lot of people in the back lot, but also just people that follow the blog and other stuff that I'm doing, I, I hope that you know, they continue to just make work because I'm really excited to to see where that all goes for everybody. Well, yeah. what I want to say um, real quick, my favorite moment so far on the back lot happened, I want to say not the last meeting, but the meeting prior, I think we were just touching base, like where we were all at in the process of filmmaking. And someone literally um, asked a question and which is, guys, what's so great about the backlot? It's not just you listening to Noam talk his fabulous advice for like, you know, an hour and a half to two hours. He he usually opens it up to questions and everyone can ask and he really gives great feedback. And so someone at one point asked, you know, I don't know if a feature film is really the right avenue for me right now. I, I have, you know, someone who hasn't made enough maybe short films, like I feel like I need to make a short film that I feel really proud of first and like then build my platform that way because maybe I don't have a big platform and literally everyone in the chat just like blew up and was like no make the feature make the feature (laughs) and I loved that so much because going back to what you said I feel like maybe a couple years ago that wouldn't have been the kind of Mm -hmm. initial response everyone would have been like yeah I don't don't know maybe not a good time um but also you know, we all have that, like, I, I literally have this conversation with Tessa back and forth um, before this meeting, like, I don't know, maybe we should just make this a short, like, I, I don't, yep. I don't know if we really have it in us to do this as our first big thing, you know, or the resources or just, or, but the same insecure kind of thought, and I, I don't want to call it insecure, but the thoughts of we're just not there yet, maybe, but when, again, what we always preach on the podcast, like, when are you ready? You kind of, mm-hmm. we, we've done enough little projects that we do have the tools, absolutely have the tools and resources yep. to make the feature. So, and like you said, <laughs> I love that an example for you of, or the example you are it's by making the by doing the actions by making it and going in you are what you say you are you know you yeah absolutely I love that and no matter what that. degree of success quote unquote whatever that means to you that's not important the important thing is you are going in you're doing the work you are learning you are growing love it yeah. so 100%. yeah well that's the thing is like you could make these little films they don't have to go into and they're not going to go to Sundance you know that when you make the film because there's no big actors in them there's no big spectacles you don't have the the big agencies who are you know sneaking your film into the head programmer and all the politics that happens <laughs> um and also if it's a first film or a second film it just might not be as sharp as you would want it to be or you ne- would need it to be but that's okay i think um just getting it done it's like if there were some sort of graph where you could see like all the people who like think they're going to make a movie then all the people who actually make a movie and then all the people who then make a second movie 
it's like a fraction of a percent, you know? So if, if you're one of those people, which you can choose to be because you just do the work and, you know, maybe your first two movies are smash hits, maybe your first two, you know, nobody loves them, but then your third one is a big hit, right? right. So it's all about just cutting your teeth. And it's so funny that you brought up that discussion on the backlog because I almost brought that up myself before when I was speaking and I thought that's such a great point because a lot of filmmakers are very hesitant. Like, am I ready? Um, and the bottom line is like, you're really, in my opinion, never ready. And like <laughs> on the podcast, for example, yeah. I've interviewed everyone from like no budget filmmakers who've never made a movie all the way through to like recently, I did an interview with uh, David Sandberg, who's directing these hundred million dollar studio movies like Shazam. And um, the common thread is like every project is scary. Every project takes like a leap of faith and you don't really know uh, how it's going to go and you have to kind of go out on a limb. So sure, it does get a little bit easier once you've broken the ice and I think made your first film. Um, but at the same time, uh, that feeling is always there. So I think in a sense, practicing getting through that feeling and just making something is like as important as making the movie itself. Right. And the same goes for finishing the movie mm -hmm. because so many filmmakers, and I've done this uh, many times, um, you know, they write something, they shoot something and then they abandon it uh, or they don't even shoot it. And uh, I've done that more times than I can count. And that kind of gets you nowhere because you don't learn what worked or what didn't work until you finish it you show it to people, you get mm -hmm. feedback, and then it becomes crystal clear. Okay, now I know what I have to do next time. But you have to really go through that whole cycle. Right. And um, I think one of the things, last thing I'll sort of say on that discussion was like, there's, I think I'm all for short films. Like I just shot a short film, like a, a little tiny thing with just me and my wife a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, um, they're very different from features. And if features are already so saturated, shorts, like the amount of short films being made is insane. Yeah. So if you can make a feature, I think it it kind of makes your work a little bit more distinct. Um, but it also allows you to work on this canvas, um, which is very different from a short film. Right. You're telling a story in three acts instead of one act. You're really exploring character development and getting into so many things that you don't get into with a short film. So I think a failed feature film is never really a failure as long as you complete it because you learn so much. And if your goal is to make more features, then you, at, at some point you just got to start and just see what happens. You know, that's always been my philosophy, I guess. Yeah, I love that. What you just said about like a feature has never failed if you finish it. <laughs> like You've accomplished exactly. something, you know, just because you've learned so much. You have something to show for yourself, whether you're like super proud of it or not. You've you you did it. You know, that's the point. And 100%. I think it's important to, you know, like you said, shorts aren't worthless, you know, but they are oversaturated. Like so many people have made so many shorts and it's where do you ever get to see them? Some festivals that's about it you know what I mean or somebody's website yeah. but I think yeah that's just important of like knowing what you want to create and why you know if you have a story that you're like this is a short it's not a, a 90 minute thing then sure go make the short like absolutely tell the story that way but yeah if you can make the feature and you have the means to do it do it that way or if it's something that's like a script that is your baby and you know you can't raise the money to do it on your own then hold on like finish that make sure it's as good as it can be as a script and then hold on to that to try to sell later or whatever like just 
know what you want to make and why and don't not make it because you're afraid, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And exactly because you're hundred percent right. Like there are situations where you should make a short film. Like some story ideas shouldn't be features. Like they just, they work better in a short format. Mm -hmm. um, or some people, like if you've never done anything, you've never been on a set, then yeah, to jump into a feature is crazy. Um, you probably would want to make a short film or two and kind of fall on your face and then get up. Um, but, you know, again, just bringing it back to, I think this was like the last backlot meeting, but we had, um, yeah, it was, yeah. we had uh, Dave Bees, who was the producer of the Peanut Butter Falcon, which is, you know, such a wonderful indie film. And that started with these very humble beginnings of just sort of like bootstrapping test footage and uh, pitch videos to try to get these like, you know, name actors on board. And, I think Dave, when he was on the backlot, we were talking a lot about those sort of like early days of getting everything set up. And, and someone asked, like, if you're making a, if you're going to shoot a pitch video for a micro budget film, uh, like, is that something you should explore? Is it worth exploring? And he had a really good idea, which is yep. instead of just making like a trailer or even like a separate short film to raise money, like, why not just shoot a scene from the movie that way it could stand alone as its own short film. But then you can also later, if you want to make a feature, you can plug that in as one of the pivotal scenes and you've already, you know, completed 8% of the movie or whatever it is. Literally was so going to tell Tessa this. I'm like, we need <laughs> okay. to listen. So I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like we go back and forth. I mean, I, I keep, telling her I'm like I feel like we need to shoot maybe something for fundraising and we've gotten feedback that absolutely you don't need to if you have like a strong enough pitch package and the materials but I just I know we're still very like new to the game and I really want to show more especially because our latest like thing that we finally completed is a western and that's such a specific category I'm like where can we show? And I loved that advice of shooting just like a film, like a scene, because a, like exactly. you said, it's, it's not going to be a waste if we shoot it as close as we can to where, you know, you know, where we want it to be shot and maybe get a chance to work with the director and, and get a really good sense of the whole team. And then I feel like it's not a waste of money. Cause that's like the hard thing where you're like, uh, I just spent yeah. a lot of money on this of my no, you're own. Right you know? Well, it's always, um, that's the thing is like, if you, my philosophy on like putting money into your own films is you can never see it as a waste of money because like we said before, you're always going to benefit from it. So like, let's say you pay, you know, somebody goes to film school and they pay $30,000 a year and they go for four years. So they spend $120,000. Um, to me, and, and it, this isn't like to disparage film school or anything, because I think there's some great ones. Um, and a lot of people have benefited from going to film school, but you, you have like literally nothing tangible after spending that $120,000. That doesn't mean it wasn't valuable and you didn't meet great people and you didn't learn a lot, but that there's no amount of money that you can pay or no amount of action that you can take that's ever going to guarantee you the success that any of us might want. So I think, yeah, at a certain point, you just have to sort of like get out there and, and do it. And you guys are such great examples of, of that, not only in terms of the um, what you're doing with making films, but even this, like building an audience, like you, you guys know from we've connected about this and you know, some of the stuff I put out and like, that's my number one, piece of advice for filmmakers is like 
it's, it's, and this applies not only to film, but also to the business world. Mm -hmm. Like in the old days, you used to make a product first and then you'd find an audience or you make a movie first and then you find an audience. These days, it's the reverse. You can find an audience and then create the product and then create the movie that you know will serve that audience. Um, and then that can catapult even a small project um, to, you know, amazing heights. Like there, to use like other examples, there are authors in just the written uh, world that, that write, have written novels and like they've done the same thing. They've built email lists mm -hmm. of 50,000, 100,000 yes. people uh, who like book recommendations. And then when it comes time to recommend their book, you know, again, we probably even spoke about some of this stuff before. Um, but anyway, when it comes time to recommend their book, like they have this built in audience and they could become a bestseller um, just because of that audience, even having never written a book before. So you could do the same thing as a filmmaker. And I think that I really admire that both of you have like taken a lot of strides to build audience online in these different ways. And I think that's the smartest thing that like you could really be doing. Any filmmaker could be doing. Yeah. Thank you. First of all, for that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's something that we realized, you know, I mean, we created a few small things in the beginning and I tried to create a big thing that we didn't quite finish until later, but you know, it, it was a, it was a struggle of like, who is our audience? Who are we going to sell these things to when they're ready to sell? And like, how do we build that, the community to work with, you know, who we can't call in favors because we don't know anybody and that sort of thing. So yeah, that was, you know, from the beginning, Absolutely. we were like, we've got to build this community first, get our name out there, get people to know who we are and what we want to do. And then when it comes time to create the big thing, we've got the audience, we've got the community to help us create it. We've, you know, got all of that. So yeah, I'm really grateful we did it that way. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can contact us at info at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. No, absolutely. And that goes without saying what in what ways we can also be a resource not having, you know, mm -hmm. anything made really right. big yet. Like what other resources can we provide? Because I think the best kind of way you can build up is kind of this healthy transactional system of like okay if we can give some career advice by having better guests on our show then know what the fuck they're doing I love that let's plug them in <laughs> and but yeah that and then because you know feature films don't happen overnight we're like and, and how else can we show people our journey without showing us on Instagram writing on our MacBooks like like you know like screenwriting isn't that glamorous producing isn't glamorous you yeah. know it's it's a lot of times in our sweatpants late at night staring at the screen trying not to go blind and that's and the majority <laughs> of the time to be honest yeah. too you know so you're only on set for a small portion he, of no I'm laughing because yeah. he knows he knows yeah. that's what it is and so absolutely I thank you for you know 
commending us on that. I think we, that was one thing we we were smart to do from the start. Like one thing we were like, <laughs> the one yeah, thing we did right. <laughs> the one thing we did right. Um, because there's a lot of messy mistakes along the way. And like yeah. you said, from the start, you only know as you keep doing it. And we are just like hoping our community holds on to us <laughs> because yeah, we're, we're slow, but it's because we know now so much more than we did ever. We didn't know anything. We like, and that's the yeah. thing we were like, okay, how can we, yeah. How I love that Tessa said that who is our, our audience even, and what yeah. are the contexts we have? Cause we did not go to school for filmmaking. So it, yeah. it's, it's really much better these days too, to connect and, um, I just took another like kind of marketing or networking kind of class and she gave the book example as well. I think it's such a great example. Like you can literally start, you know, finding different ways to get emails, like do a list of everyone you want to connect with and send an email that, you know, doesn't waste someone's time. But if you want to pick someone's brain, that isn't, you know, the top, you know, that isn't Tarantino. Let's, let's, related to film you can absolutely even if you are new and want to build contacts you can it the good old email networking cold calling it's still there it's still prevalent and I think you know that's something I want to even get better at I I think that you can never not not stop working on that because Mm -hmm. it's it's huge right um did you bringing it back to you know I'm like did you have to do a lot of that too when you were breaking in especially in coming from Canada to LA um how how do you feel the whole change now it is today like is there a huge change do you feel like cold calling still works but I I just think now too we have an even better resource out there with Mm -hmm. the the online uh, um Instagram community yeah Yeah, exactly social media Twitter a platform like what you have it's a great a great question um and it's actually something that i'm i'm hoping to talk about a little bit uh next week at this backlog meeting um because i think that um to me and this sounds funny i almost like wrote this on twitter a few weeks ago and i don't think i did i'm like people are gonna think this is really weird so i pulled it (laughs) off but i was gonna write like a tweet or something that just said like my greatest asset as a filmmaker is my email list, which is true. It gets not my Mac Pro, it's not my Alexa, it's not the cameras I have or any of the gear I've sort of built up over the last decade. It's, it's literally the fact that I have an email list with tens of thousands of people now that if I have a movie that I need to release, I can send it to them. If I have a product, I can send it to them. Um, and also I can get input from them, which is something that I'm going to try doing with my next feature film in a way that I've never done before. So um, I don't think I have it here anymore, but I recently read this book called Growth Hacker Marketing, which I also share on the back lot. And um, it was really interesting because it's all about sort of building your audience first, um, but also about making the things that you create have viral potential. And one of the ways I think you could do that with a book or with a feature film uh, and that they even, I think, talk about in the book is by essentially getting advice as you're going. So in real time, um, sharing your script, like in the old days, you would just hide everything. Yeah. Like I have this script, nobody's going to see the movie till it's done. But what happens if you show everybody the script and if you get, you know, 50,000 people giving you feedback, that script probably going to be 
better than it would have been otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, one of the great things about having an audience is um, not only can you market to your audience, but you can also essentially collaborate with that audience. And to answer your question in terms of like breaking into the industry, like I never really broke in, like I kind of like you, I'm sort of, you know, creating my own little mini microcosm of an industry. And I think that's what most filmmakers end up doing, you know, they make their own industry and, and others come to you. So when you're creating content uh, that attracts people, like your podcast, like that, uh, you don't have to network because the people that you want to meet are going to find you through your podcast, through your email list. Mm-hmm. And those people uh, generally uh, are going to be a lot more responsive to whatever you have to offer because you're offering them something. You're exactly. not asking for you could say, hey, I have a platform, I have a podcast, I want to share your amazing new film on it. Um, and, you know, the last thing I'll say, I'm sort of jumping all over the place, but I think there's sort of like these three big benefits to audience building for filmmakers. One is the obvious, you know, distribution of your work and monetization of your work. Um, but the other two are probably like lesser thought of. One is just expanding your network. Um, so, uh, well, one, you know, also I touched on already, which is like getting feedback from the audience and everything. But the third one is this expansion of your network. Like I know when I launched my podcast, I didn't think of it as a networking tool, but now like skip to two, three years later, some of my best collaborators, uh, and colleagues and people like you guys, I met through having a podcast. Mm -hmm. So you, there's so many benefits to doing it. I just, I, I think pretty much any filmmaker comfortable with it should consider you know taking some steps it doesn't have to be a podcast but some way to start building an audience I think is is you know so beneficial yeah I mean I every like networking class or anything that I've ever taken has always said like you've got to approach it with wanting to give instead of get you know and you're going to get such a better response Mm -hmm. if you're trying to give what you can offer so yeah it's it's just like you said it's like if you create this community that you're giving back to whether it's you know people who want to break into this people who are already doing it whoever your audience is whatever you can give them you're going to get something in return for it you know and it's going to benefit everybody and really, like, it, it sucks to say this. I used to hate when people would say, like, oh, this industry is just, it's all about who you know and this and that. But, like, it kind of is. Like, if you know somebody who has, you know, $100 million in the bank and they could fund your next movie, uh, you're going to have a, an easier time making your next movie. If you know <laughs> yeah. an agent at CAA, you're going to be able to get a better actor and, you know, more known actor in your film. There is so many, um, you know, so much of it really comes down to who you know. And now I'm seeing that, like, I I sort of got into all of this. Like, again, I don't consider myself, like, breaking into the business, but whatever you would call what I've done is, like, uh, completely... Um, sort of by accident, but I've also attracted people that I love collaborating with and that um, uh, I wouldn't have any of these opportunities without them. Like I, I've shot projects even like in the last, let's say three to six months um, that honestly, other people that I personally know are way more qualified than I would be to, to shoot these things Aww. or produce these things or whatever. No. Like no question. I'm not even like just trying to be for it. like literally like I'm not qualified to do some of these things, uh, but I'll get asked to yeah. because though I'm in the network of people who know what I do. So I'm the guy that, you know, they're going to call if they need something. So it, it really, you know, so much of it, like 
I think for me initially was all about skill. I was like, if I'm just like the best behind the camera, if I'm just the best at the editing software, then like, that's going to be what does it. And you do have to be, I think, really good technically. But the other side of it is like, if you don't know anyone in the industry who's actually working on bigger projects or can support your projects, then uh, all that skill is going to have a bit of like a glass ceiling in terms of, you know, what you can do with it. So I think the one, two punch is really like having the skill, uh, having the network. And then if you add the audience component to that, um, you kind of can't lose. Yeah, I completely agree. Those things are so important. And I think it's also important if you are going about it in that way to factor in the timeline of that all, like to know it doesn't happen overnight. And there are ways, especially for audience building, um, you can set goals there and you can like see that, you know, you can have strategy there to make sure, okay, by this month, I want this many followers or this many email contacts and, and you can check in there. But I think overall, really developing relationships, once let someone like you know them, um, you know, we, we, it's taken time for us to really get to know each other. And, and so it's been so lovely that we both been like, yes, let's hop on, let's like cross promote, let's get, let's get on each other's work. But it's been also really beautiful to, to tune into then your community. And, and then we didn't even know, like when we had Katrina on, we always bring up this example that she would even was on your, um, oh, yeah. as a producer, as yeah. a project. And that's like, that's the beautiful thing. Cause if you're patient and you stick with it and start to like really do all the interconnecting, you realize, wait, I actually do know a handful of people and they're not random, you know? That's another thing. Like, I think when you're starting it out and kind of feel a little random and all over the place, but if you're like really going about it the right way, really finding people who are developing, you know, independent films, like I think, and really finding that community, it's not, it'll start to then evolve and you have to just be patient there and really want to develop a relationship like sincerely. hundred percent. Patience is like the number one other than like email lists. (laughs) (laughs) Patience is like my number one thing because um, it's so true. Like in every aspect, whether you're talking about networking, building relationships, um, just being patient with your own creative development uh, with your own, ability to keep going in the industry like uh, it it there literally is no such thing as an overnight success and even filmmakers who um have a lot of success when they're you know 26 years old and they make some big feature film or whatever like there's some other story there often too like they were making movies when (laughs) they were 10 you know and and they were brought up and groomed and they were on set and they you know they kind of learned that you know even though they're young they put in a lot of times their 10,000 hours or sometimes if they didn't maybe they get a foot in the door and they have an early success, but then they struggle. And then later they find their way back, hopefully. Right. So um, I think that you do have to be patient. And I remember like when I turned 30, uh, that was when I, I said, like, I've never released a feature. I've shot these films. That I thought were going to be features and like, I didn't release them. And uh, at a certain point I said, like, I just have to do it. And like, and, and for me, it was not to rush things, but just to say like, I'm going to do it and I'm going to be patient, not necessarily with like waiting forever to make work, but patient with myself to like get the work done that I want to get done. Like 
do I want my first feature film to be a $10 million, you know, Hollywood produced thing or whatever? Sure, of course. But I'm patient enough to wait if I have to wait 10 years, 15, 20 years to make a bigger film. That's cool. Like I'll be the one to wait. I, I think those others who wait will, you know what I mean? No, a hundred percent. We love our guests. We love our guests so much <laughs> that are just open and honest about the timeline. That's what we try to reveal in our show and spill the tea on because I think especially in this industry, it's easy to compare everyone's successes and where everyone's at. But like you said, it's, it's something where, yeah, they could have been filmmaking since they were 10 and that does count guys. Like, you know, that all like all this, but um, to bring it back to your timeline, that's what the piece that I've given myself in this industry, especially, you know, as an actor, um, I still want to act, but I'm not in a rush to get those those juicier roles because I know it'll just happen with the stuff I'm making and the people that I'm networking with. And so, you know, if it's, you give yourself a lot more chances when you're auditioning every day, certainly. Um, But I'm just like, that's not my process. And I'm going to be patient because I know the right roles will align. And I got to act in Katrina's short film, her latest one. So that was like, I didn't know that. Yeah. She's starring (laughs) in it. Hello. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you. No, I'm like, but that was such a blessing and a gift. And, but what I wanted out of doing this, this is partly what Tess and I set out to do to get, make roles for ourselves, to network and to get, to get in film for sure. Because that is our, Mm -hmm. like our number one, our first love is acting. And, um, and the rest has become a huge journey, but I love it. We love it. And, you know, there's things we also don't love about, you know, the whole producing filmmaking stuff, but that's where it's like, that's fine. I'll get a DP. That's just not my role. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the great thing about having to be patient as frustrating as it is, is that I think it forces you to really assess like how much you love what you're doing Mm -hmm. because if the only reason you want to make a film is because of the outcome uh and like to use analogy from like an acting perspective because as we think talked about in your last podcast I I used to do a lot of acting too as a teenager and I love acting but at a certain point I realized like I loved filmmaking more because even when the going got tough like And even if I knew a project wouldn't get even finished or released, like I still enjoyed working on it. Like I still learned from it. I still, the process could be difficult and I'd have my like dark night of the soul moments where I was (laughs) losing my mind. Uh, That happened too, but I kept coming back to it. And I'm like, why am I like torturing myself? And and at a certain point you realize like- We're all sadists. Yeah, (laughs) but I think that the beauty of like having to be patient as much as it can feel like a curse that like it's so hard to like get your work discovered and to make things and to meet the right people but like I think that the beauty of there being that barrier is it really forces you to have to really ask yourself like is this what I want like do I want to live with this sort of like uncertainty and you know I could live an easier life just taking a job somewhere and not being a filmmaker not doing any of this stuff and I could probably, you know, easily make more money with less time and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, like, yeah, if if you're still doing it after that point, then the patience teaches you that like, you're supposed to be there. And like, that's your place. And I do think no matter what comes of it, that's a rewarding journey, whether you end up getting funded for some big studio blockbuster, or you just make really important, smaller indie films that find smaller audiences, but are still important to people. I think uh, wherever it takes you, 
is, is, you know, wherever you're supposed to go. So I think like, again, the through line of all this is just make stuff and, and, and let it unfold, I think organically and don't put too much pressure on anything. Right. I think also being patient allows you to, um, open yourself up more to more opportunity too, because, you know, maybe it, it say if you are an actor and acting is all you want to do, but you have built this community of filmmakers, well, maybe somebody wants to bring you on as a PA. Hey, we just need an extra hand, you know, and then you learn all of that. And maybe you're like, oh my God, actually, I want to be a script supervisor because I got to see them do that on set and like help out with that or whatever. Like it just, yep. yeah, it gives you so much more opportunity to learn how it all works, to see what other things are out there, what other things you can do and might enjoy. Because like, for me, I'm still like acting is the thing I want to do the most more than anything. Like I, you said you started acting and found you enjoyed filmmaking more. I've done both now. I, I still know. I enjoy acting yeah, more. Awesome. But you yeah. know, I've learned that I'm able to do these other things with filmmaking. Some of them I enjoy, some of them I don't, you know, you learn what you pick and choose and whatever, but like, I'm a lot better at some of them than I thought I would have been. And I would have never been able to know Hell that yeah, had girl. I not been patient and been given these opportunities. So, yeah. And sometimes you get into things like, um, because you love one thing so much, you end up creating some sort of like derivative skill or interest. Mm-hmm. So for you, it may be acting comes first, but then that leads you into filmmaking because mm-hmm. then that can support your acting career. Absolutely. And even if acting's always number one, like you can learn to love the filmmaking process. That makes you a better actor. Exactly. Opens up more opportunities. And yeah, you, you sort of can't lose. And then on the other hand, like what you said before, just in terms of like openness to the experience and just being, I don't think you use these exact words, but I would just call it like open-mindedness yeah. in the sense that like, the more flexible people are with their path, the more successful they typically tend to be. Because I think where I know I've gone wrong and where I've seen others go wrong is like, when you have like, you have to have a vision. So I don't want to take that away because that's so important. But if your vision is like so, so rigid that you turn away other opportunities that could actually support you and and to bring out like the best qualities and, and skills and assets that you have, then that vision might not serve you that well. So I think you have to have like a long-term goal. What do you want out of your career? Where do you think you want to go? And you have to try things. But I think the more open-minded you are, like, you know, I've met people that are making uh, tremendous uh, amounts of money, quite honestly, like doing things that they weren't even uh, skilled in two or three years ago, but they got on set as, let's say, you know, thinking they wanted to be a, a DP, like a cinematographer. And then they say, you know what? Uh, I really think, you know, I'm always hanging out with the DIT, the guy with the little cart dumping all the footage and color correcting everything. Maybe I'll try that. And then before they know it, you know, they're making a ton of money and they're getting paid, you know, $3,500 a day to go to commercial sets. And, and it's, it's not because they went in with this vision that they were going to be this like, you know, DIT or whatever. They just went in saying, I'm going to do what I'm not, I'm going to expand on what I'm naturally good at, what I naturally enjoy doing, what I have a passion for, what I'm going to stick to. So I think it's, it's so important to really be honest with yourself when you're embarking on these projects and say like, why do I want to do these things? And, and what do I want to follow? And sometimes you make a project and it just reinforces what you know, like with uh, Tess, what you said, like sometimes you'll just say, hey, I really do want to just act. Like this is so obvious. That's, that's reinforcing that for me. Or other times you say, I like acting, but I also like all these other things. So why close the door on, on opportunity, yeah. especially early on in your career? 
Absolutely. And know that, yeah, it's a career. And the one thing that I heard about when moving to to Hollywood and all this Hollywood jazz is that the people who uh, stay here are the ones that don't give up after two years and three Mm -hmm. years and four years, you know? So if you know this is your passion um, and this doesn't just even mean Hollywood, this goes for (laughs) all over the world, it's that you have a career you're building. So just know that should already alleviate some stress, okay? Like, no one's an overnight success. If you're here for the long run, you are someone who takes it seriously, then you're going to stick around and, and not leave because that's a very common thing to say here is that then just people leave. And why do people like the, uh, the big actors who you think are an overnight success blew up? No, you look and they started back when they were, you know, in their early 20s. And then finally, mm-hmm. by 35, they land that leading man lady role and you're like oh shoot and then you look back and they've been they've just stuck around they didn't give up the fact that you know they didn't blow up right at 25 and if that Mm -hmm. happens that's amazing because you know I hate it but there is a little luck involved (laughs) too right like we can't we got to see where the stars align and that's that's what I love about what you're saying Noam and Tessa to kind of be open because um and what you were saying about not being so rigid because you know, maybe the stars start to align for you in a different way and that's okay. And then, but if, you know, you have this passion, I do feel like the, by law of attraction, it's going to get yeah. there, honey. We just, you oh, know. Yeah. And if it doesn't, it's your choice because you've let it go and you said, you know what, maybe I wanted something else. And if you keep going with it, then you keep going and you find your way to be successful. And and I love what you said about like, yeah, actors or filmmakers at like this young age, because we always focus on these anomaly stories of people that like sometimes it's it. And oftentimes, again, this isn't to take away from anyone's talent, but there's so many talented people in the world. So even the most talented artist who breaks through at 25 as an actor or whatever, like there's a huge degree of luck to it. You know, it's like they were the right person at the right time. They were also very talented. Like that's the bare, that's the the minimum. You have to be talented. (laughs) you know you have to care you have to work hard you have to do all those things but there are millions and millions of people who meet all those criteria so the ones that break through sometimes um it was something also out of their control and and that's okay uh sometimes when we find success whether it's tomorrow or next year or we've already had it like that can be there can be an element of luck as well but i think uh you know it's funny like what you were saying about the actors and staying here for two years because I don't know. Were you guys both here through the whole pandemic in LA? Oh yeah. We didn't leave. Okay. So (laughs) so my wife made like a funny joke when everything first shut down and the, anyone who's been to LA knows like it's bumper to bumper traffic (laughs) all the time. And all of a sudden there was no more traffic. And she said, it's just, you realize like 80% of LA traffic is just actors like going to auditions. (laughs) Honestly. Yep. And you saw like how many people went back home Mm -hmm. uh, to live with their parents or live wherever their hometown. And that's cool. You know, I understand everyone has to do what they have to do. But I think even in non uh, pandemic times, you see like it's a revolving door in LA, you get actor come in for a year or two, they try it. Oh, I'm not good enough. I go back home. But you have, you know, you have to be like a, a John Hamm type person who I remember reading how like, before he booked Mad Men, he was like a week away from going back to wherever he was from and being a teacher in high school. And, um, and then he got it, you know, so it's like, 
for every Ashton Kutcher that books their first audition and ends up being on that 70s show, there are hundreds of Danny DeVitos that had to go to 450 auditions or whatever before they landed their first part. Um, exactly. So I, everyone has their own journey, but again, it all comes down to just like loving it, believing in it. And like you said as well, um, just, you know, sort of attracting the right things and putting, you know, putting yourself in a position to attract those, those positive uh, influences. Absolutely. I think the mental health that you need to have to do that too, is super important. And, and the Mm -hmm. community having that, that community, that's again, just thank you for the back lot. (laughs) I think that's, that's absolutely why, why that um, helps everyone out because everyone can just kind of cheer you on. And, and so we always talk about that too, on the show is, is having that, that good group of people that, can support you um, because it's 10 times harder when you don't and um, just like keeping yourself at bay like go make sure you still have a life you're living you're breathing you're working out happy people (laughs) you know can can attract more you know so I think it's important to also not get so um, I guess psyched up about your successes as well and just and just, yeah, like literally relieve yourself of that anxiety of like, I have mm-hmm. to, I have to do this and this, and this is the only way there's no only way about going about it. And I think, yeah. you know, that's just another important reminder is like, be human. We talked about it with Corey McComb, like, don't be a robot. Like mm-hmm. we, we gotta, it's so easy to put so much pressure on yourself. And I think a little pressure and stress is absolutely the way you get shit done. At least for me, we need yeah. that. <laughs> But um, a healthy amount. And I think that's something I feel like we and you yourself always like plug in is like how to, you know, be realistic, but, but have fun and like enjoy this journey, guys. I think that's, I think that's where I'm going at it. Like really try to enjoy it because that's what you said by trying out all these different positions, you find joy in it or you don't. And then you realize, okay, going to go a different way. But at the end of the day, you should, you should be, you should as much as it's painful at times, you should be enjoying everything that you're making because you're making something where a lot of people can't say that they are. That's another thing. You have to look at it in that perspective too. How many people are even trying this endeavor? So even if it doesn't go exactly the way you want it to go, you did it. Like you did Mm -hmm. something. And that like what you said earlier on, it's like a skill or something that you can't say you didn't learn or do by making a feature film. 100%. And and the other thing that's, I think, important to for people to recognize, and I've learned this over the years is that like, your success isn't always like linear, because we always feel like we're climbing a ladder and like each year, maybe you you have more opportunity or you make a little more money or whatever it is. But like, in this industry, it's really not like that. Like the element of the overnight success that is true, is not the, the person just getting discovered, but it's the um, the the quick change once they are discovered. So like in our industry, like none of us know if we're three months away from having a, a, a big film at a big film festival or from having something like David Sandberg, who I mentioned, who was on my podcast, like who made these little two minute short films. And then one of them led to a $5 million feature and then the rest was history. So like wow. these things do happen. So even though you're grinding and it can feel sort of like, when is the finish line like three years ago I don't know if I'm I'm like that much further ahead like oftentimes people quit like right before it could have 
kicked up for them. So you just, yeah, you have to just stick with it and just keep making stuff. And I feel like that's like just a great piece of advice to end on is just like, you know, don't be stressed out. Just do it. <laughs> like yeah. be patient, no but know that you're capable of it. Yeah, absolutely. I almost look at it like there are waves of opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. there's always waves and like, sometimes there's not a wave right then. Yeah. And like you can't, uh, like as much as I'm someone that's like all about hard work and put in the work and like all that, that's so critical and that matters so much. But like, no matter how hard you work, you can't guarantee that you're going to make an Oscar winning film. Like you can't guarantee you're going to land a huge budget for your movie. All you can guarantee is that like, you're going to try. So like at a certain point, you just have to have faith in like the the universe will work itself out. You do your thing and be open to opportunity, be open to collaboration and, uh, and don't be too rigid, you know, with your plans. So anyway, I know we said all this, but that's kind of the, the message, I guess I would leave with, with your Absolutely. audience. Yeah. I think that's so smart. Um, please also let our, let our audience know, um, we'll start from the beginning. If they haven't heard your other episode, um, if you want to let them know just in general about your website, your blog, um, psychosynthesis, all of that. And then we'll end with back lot of how they can get involved if they're interested. Awesome. Yeah, so the easiest place if you want to kind of find everything in one place is just my website, noamkroll.com. So it's spelled N-O-A-M-K-R-O-L-L.com. So on there, you'll find my blog with filmmaking advice and tips and articles. You can sign up for my newsletter. I try to send uh, once a week more filmmaking advice that's not on my main blog. And then um, and then I have my podcast show, Don't Tell, as well, which you guys can find wherever you listen to podcasts. And and again, we'll we'll definitely hopefully set something up again with you guys yeah. on that front. Yeah. But really the main thing, if you guys want, whoever's listening wants to follow, like the main thing, like I said, is email for me. That's where I, I like, yes, I want to get people on that list for my own promotional purposes. But the truth is I also want people on that list because I try to save some of my best material just for people who are signed up, whether it's on the list or on the back lot. So all that stuff you guys can find on Noam Cole. Just look on the menu bar. You'll find newsletter, backlot, all the the crazy weird stuff that I'm up to. And and hopefully I'll get to to connect with some more of you guys soon. Fantastic. Absolutely. And it's not just that. I know you are very generous. You always find great deals and discounts to promote. So guys, like it's it's a great resource if you're looking for color editing, um, discounts, or just you you you've established yourself on there. So you're always getting great like promos and I'm sure you pimp that out through your email list as well. So it's, it's all those different tools. So I, I love, I've loved it. I loved been being able to tap into that. And so if you guys are really curious, I highly recommend it. Thank you, Have a you, great Noah. rest of your day. Have a good one. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Bye. bye Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at FemRegard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.